0: Are you guys ready for the word? We're talking about the comeback today. Um, our theme verse for this series is going to be found in Revelation chapter 2, verses 2 through 5 in the New King James. We're going to read it. And it says this, I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they're apostles and are not, and have found them to be liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my namesake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you that you have left your first love. Remember, somebody say, remember. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Let's pray together, shall we? God, I just thank you that this is a God-appointed word at a God-appointed time. Father, I thank you that every ear be open and receptive, that every heart will be softened for the seed of the word of God. Father, I declare that every life will be changed, that no one will leave the same. And in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you, Brad. You're awesome. Hey, so I was listening to a friend recently, and um, she was talking about how she had gone over to England. And while she was there, she wanted to go and see the churches while she was there, amongst all the other sites uh, that she wanted to see. She wanted to see churches. And I can understand because me and my husband have this weird thing. We love um, old buildings, uh, churches and buildings. Babe, do you want to move that? I know it's bothering you. I can tell. He's talking to Candace about how it's bothering him. (laughs) He keeps looking at it. He likes it to be center, and when it's not, it really does make him crazy. And I'm watching him the whole time. I'm like, he's not going to make it through this next 30 minutes without this. And so uh, we love to go look at um, old buildings and the old architecture. And our other favorite thing is to go to cemeteries. Any weird people here like to go to cemeteries? I love it. I've been I've been to the cemetery where Paul Revere was uh, buried buried. Uh, it was really cool. I don't know if he's really buried there, but I mean, I saw the the little tombstone thing. And uh, but we love to go see old architecture. In fact, when we were in Boston, it's a amazing to see some of the old churches that are there. Absolutely phenomenal. The stained glass, the moldings. Uh, Michael and I were talking about it and he goes, they don't build churches like that anymore. They just build them as big and as cheap as possible. I said, that's what we're going for. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But for real, to do that kind of architecture is very expensive. And so my girlfriend was telling me about how she was in this long line in Europe waiting to get into one of these churches and this church in particular, they don't have services there anymore, Brenda. Um, they just have it open to the public, and you're able to pay euros to go in and tour it. And as you walk through the facility, they tell you about how amazing it is and who uh, painted the walls and who did this and where the moldings came from and kind of tell you all about the history. And then they tell you about how the church used to have great gatherings and they couldn't fit all the people in, and about how they used to make a difference in their city and in their country and how kings came into those churches and queens worshipped in those buildings and just tell you all about the history. And she was telling me about it, and she said it was so cool to get to go on that tour and to hear all about it, but it's really sad that they don't have church there anymore. And all of a sudden when she was saying that, my heart just was rent within me, and I thought about how they were people just like us, and they probably had a Heart for the House campaign, and they had Crystal Figueroa doing video for them, I'm sure hundreds of years ago, but no, but really, they they had a building campaign, I'm sure, at some point, and the people gave sacrificially as you are giving sacrificially, and they built that building together, and when it was built, they had, they were full of dreams and aspirations of how they were going to change their world, and I wonder if they knew that hundreds of years later that that building would not serve to be a place to reach people, but it would just be a building to serve as a remembrance of what was. I wonder if the people that served in that house and prayed for that house and, and loved that church, if they knew that hundreds of years later it would be nothing more than a monument to stand for once what, what, what once was. And I think about it here in, in Revelations. God's telling the church of Ephesus, you have done a lot of great things. You're doing awesome things. I mean, you are reaching the lost. You are proclaiming my name. You have not grown weary. You have persevered. You have done amazing things. But this I have against you, that you have left your first love. In other words, what he's saying is you can do, be a person of doing, but I've called you into a place of being. There's a big difference of being in love with God and serving him from love than serving him trying to get love. And we as a church, if we're not careful, we'll we'll grow a great church and we'll build a great building because together we're going to do it. But I would never want it to be said of us, do you remember when the church RC was? I want us to always have Jesus as the central focus. I always want him to be the reason why we gather. He's the reason why we sing. He's the reason why we worship. He's the reason why we give. And God's telling them here, he said, if you do not go back and do the things you first did, I will remove your lampstand. Let me just tell you, you want a lampstand. In other words, God's saying, I'm going to make sure that you don't have influence like you've had influence. I'm going to cut you off. You need to get into a place where I'm the reason behind what you're doing, and let's go back to what you first did. You know, whenever Brian and I, we, we'll go into marriage counseling, and, and we'll have people come in, and they both hate each other, which is common in marriage, and um, for all the single people, that's normal. If you're married and you hate each other, that's normal. That's okay. It comes and goes. Um, But they'll come in and the husband hates her and she hates him and they're arguing and and me and Brian will just go, okay, let's just go back to the basics. When's the last time y'all went out on a date together? Oh, we don't have time for dates. We don't have time for that. We have kids. We have game schedules. We have all these things to do. Okay, when's the last time that you were alone together after dark? Come on, somebody. And they say, oh, that doesn't happen anymore. That, that We don't do that. There, there's no time for that. Well, when's, what's the last nice thing that you've done for one another with no motives? Just nice thing. Wrote a nice note. Got a gift. Sent flowers. Come on. Women love flowers and gifts. My um, love language is Chanel Louis Vuitton. Um, just saying. Budget for that. Um, Diamonds are a girl's best friend. Can I get an amen? When in doubt, you know, just go to Zales. Um, But uh, we'll tell them, when's the last time you've done something nice for one another? A nice little card, a sticky note by the coffee pot. Oh, well, we don't do that. We're just too busy for that. And we'll tell them, go back to the things you first did when you first got married, and everything will fix itself. It never fails that that couple, we usually will not meet with them again. You know why? Because they go back to what they first did, and all of a sudden now they're passionately in love with each other. They're not fighting anymore. They actually like each other, and their whole life has turned around. And it's not because we said anything miraculous. It's just because they went back to doing what they once did. And that's what God's telling the church here. Hey, remember the things you used to do, and let's do those. So how many of you guys want to know what the first church did? did in the first place. Um, That's what we're going to look at. Crystal, I see that hand. We'll do the series for you. Um, Acts chapter 2 for Crystal Hoffman. Uh, I'm just teasing. Uh, Acts chapter 2 in verse 42. You guys ready? It says, and they steadfastly Persevere, devoting themselves constantly to the instruction and the fellowship of the apostles, to the breaking of bread, including the Lord's Supper and prayers. And a sense of awe, reverential fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were performed through the apostles. And all who believed, who adhered and trusted in and relied to, on Jesus were united together. They had everything in common. They sold possessions, both both their landed Property and their movable goods, and distributed the price among all, according as any had need. And day after day they regularly assembled in the temple with united purpose, and in their homes they broke bread, including the Lord's Supper. They partook of the food with gladness and simplicity and generous hearts, constantly praising God and being in favor and goodwill with all people, and the Lord kept adding to their number daily who were being saved from spiritual. Death. Man, that sounds like a powerful church, doesn't it? Over the next four weeks, we're going to kind of talk about what are these things that God's calling us to do, and we're going to look at the original church and what they did and let that serve as inspiration for us in our own lives. I believe this, that God's still alive, that he's still a miracle-working God, and that if we do what they did, we'll get what they got. And the Bible tells us that they saw many signs, wonders, and miracles, and that many were added to the church each day. And so I think think that if we as a church begin to do what the first church did, we'll see what they saw. And so uh, Brian and I, for those of you that don't know, we stood on Acts 247 the whole time we prayed for this church. And we declared that a New Testament church grows daily. And uh, the other day I got the total of our salvations. And even since the video was recorded, it's gone up since then. It's in excess of 620 salvations since our first Sunday. Come on, somebody. Give up a hand clap. For those of you that don't know, there's 365 days in a year. So that means God's given us over one salvation per day of our church's existence. You get what you go for. You get what you confess. There's nothing more powerful than the word of God spoken out of our mouths. The Bible tells us here, And they steadfastly persevered, devoting themselves constantly to the instruction and the fellowship of the apostles. You know, a little bit of church history here, the the New Testament believers that we're reading about here did not have the New Testament, Cassie. I know this is a revelation, but they didn't have it because they were living it, and so they couldn't pick up the book of John and find out what Jesus did about how he multiplied the loaves and the fish. They couldn't hear the Sermon on the Mount and just pick it up and read it. They would actually have to go to their pastor, and the pastor then, the apostle, would tell them the story of Jesus. They would tell them, about the miracles. They would tell them about blind eyes being open. They would tell them the story of Nicodemus. They would tell them the story that on the third day that he rose again. And that is how they learned God's word because it was not yet written for them to pick up and read. So when it talks about they continued steadfastly in the teaching of the apostles, what they're saying is that they followed God's word. They had a hunger for God's word. Today in this first message in the comeback series, I'm going to preach the most exciting message you will ever hear. And it's a coming back to God's word, coming back to God's word. We're going to talk about three areas of your life that will begin to change with God's word. We're going to look at Psalms 119 verse 68. I've got a lot of scripture today. I hope you like the word since it's about the word. Do you get it? Psalms 119 verse 68, it says, you are good and kind and do good. Isn't that so good? The psalmist here, he writes that God is good, and he is kind, and he does good. Isn't it interesting that when you know a person and their character, it lets you know what their actions are going to be? Come on, that's why we incarcerate killers, because we know that what is a killer going to do? He's going to kill? What is a hater going to do? Yeah, come on. (laughs) What's a Christian going to do? We don't know. (laughs) You never know what they're going to do. But we know when we can figure out the character of somebody, we can find out what their actions are going to do. It's funny, the more you know somebody, the more you can almost predict what they're going to do. My husband, I can almost predict what he's going to say or do, just like that pulpit bothering him. I knew um, because I've lived with him long enough. I know him. And because I know him, I know the things that bother him. I know the things that move his heart. I know the things that motivate him. I know the things that uh, touch him in a deep way. And it's the same way with God. The psalmist is writing here that you are good and kind. And because of that, you do good. You know, the first thing, that area of our life that begins to change when we begin to fall in love with God's word, it, it begins to change our outlook on life. It begins to change our outlook on life. Have you ever talked to a Christian um, that really loves God and loves His Word, and you're talking to him, and you say, "Well, how's your, how are things going? You know, how's, how's life?" It's kind of like cold today. I've got poison ivy from head to toe. <laughs> But for real, um, you'll, you'll talk to them, and, and they're like, my dog got run over. I lost my job. I got a flat tire on my way here. Had to change it. You know, the kids are terrible. We had fever going through our house and vomiting everywhere. And you say, but how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing good. God is good all the time. All the time. God is good. And you're thinking, what? God is not good? That sounds like the worst week ever. Like, you need prayer. You need Prozac. You need something. You need counseling. Have you ever tried going to groups? No. Um, But that sounds crazy. But here's the thing is that when you know that God is good and he only does good, then you can be going through a hard time in your life, but your perspective is changed not because your life is any different, but because you know who God is. Our outlook on life has everything to do with how we view our God. Have you ever been with your kids and they're they're fearful and they don't want to sleep in the middle? the night and they're crying because they're upset maybe they're afraid of the dark or maybe you let them watch shark week and you're on an ocean vacation that's what we choose to do um it's always lots of fun um but maybe you do something like that and and your kids are scared but isn't it amazing how bold your kids get when you're with them as a parent and it's like, all of a sudden, they can be in a dark room, they can be in the middle of the ocean, and it doesn't even matter because they know that you're with them and that you're going to protect them. See, they, as a child, they see their parents as good and only doing good things for them. So they know that no evil can come upon them as long as you're there. And I think a lot of times, if we begin to see God as a good God, then we would begin to have that kind of outlook on our life, that all things work together for good to, those who are called according to his purpose in other words this it doesn't matter what my checkbook says it doesn't matter what life says my outlook on life is defined by God's word and his promises but might I just challenge you this if you don't know God's word for yourself then you don't truly know who he is his character is found in his word. If you want to know if God's a loving God, pick up the word and begin to read how he healed all who were oppressed of the devil. Um, I love the book of John because he opens up and John is so inspired by the Holy Spirit and he's trying to put into words the Messiah. And he says, all I can say is that he is the word and that the word became flesh and he dwelt among us. In other words, Jesus and his word are one. There's no difference between the two, that he is such a good God. And John says, the best way I can describe him is he is scripture personified. He is everything lovely. He's everything beautiful. And if that doesn't make you have a hunger for God's word, I don't know what it is. It it makes me want to know who is this God that we serve. Amen. There was a guy that went to college uh, with a friend of mine, and he was always—he always swore that uh, that judgment was about to come to America, and uh, he was always—he's like, man, bad things are about to happen, the bottom's about to fall out, and God's about to judge America. Um, Cassie's nodding, and uh, <laughs> she knows people like that. She has a friend, um, and so it, they, they swore that this was going to happen. So what he did was he packed a survival kit, Sean, and he had it underneath his bed, because uh, apparently it was going to happen while he was asleep at night one night, and uh, he wasn't going to be away from his survival kit, and then he was so afraid that God might send a flood, he hadn't read about Noah, and he packed a raft in there, but the funny part, Isaiah, is he wasn't planning on taking anybody with him, because the raft was only for one, and, uh, <laughs> but he had it, and he, it's so funny to me to hear her talk about how every night he'd make sure the raft was there, his survival kit was all packed underneath his bed, just in case. If God sent judgment on America, isn't it funny how when your outlook of God is evil, all you're doing is planning for evil to come? But the opposite also holds true, that when you believe God for good things, that all you're waiting for is good things. Um, every day when I wake up every morning, I always declare, something good is going to happen to me today. And why can I say that with assurance? Because I know Psalms 119 is true, that he is good and he only does good things. And, and there would be a big change that happened in our life if we begin to believe God for promotion. We begin to believe God for breakthrough. We begin to set our expectations expectations. expectations that something good is going to happen to me today how's your outlook on life are you are you constantly waiting well crystal I'm waiting for the bottom to fall out Well, goodness, that's the worst thing to think. You know, the other day I was just curious because the stock market's been quite volatile. For those of you that don't know and haven't been watching the news, it's been kind of volatile. And So I was curious, and I thought I'd log in and just see how our stocks were doing because they're just kind of riding. You just let them ride, right, Chuck? You just let them ride. And uh, I logged in to see. And while everybody else's stocks are going down, mine are up uh, about 25% right now. So my stocks are doing good. Why? Because God is good. And he does good. All I declare over my checkbook is that it's blessed. And it's going to be fruitful and it's going to multiply. Come on, somebody. That even though other people's stocks may be going down, mine's going to begin to increase. Uh, the Bible is, has full of scriptures, full of things that you can begin to stand on. But nobody's going to stand on them for you. You've got to begin to know God's word and stand on it for yourself. The next thing I want to tell you, it determines what you expect. Proverbs 30, verse 5, says this, Every word of God is pure. He is a shield to those who put their trust in him. You know, most, most promises from God come with this, a big if. And you could read it like this. Every word of God is pure. He is a shield to, the, to those if they put their trust in him is the way you could read that. In other words, God's everything you want him to be. When God showed up to Moses, and there he is, and Moses says, God, who shall I tell Pharaoh that sent me? He said, tell them I am that I am. In other words, God's saying, I'm giving you a blank check, and it's what you define me as. I will be that in your life. So if you serve the God of El Chipo, you're going to be El Broco. But if you serve the God of exceedingly abundantly, then you're going to be blessed exceedingly abundantly. God will be whatever you expect him to be. I want some people in this place to begin to believe God, expect God for great things, for big things. Uh, There was a college professor who taught at a seminary, and one of his students had gone on into ministry and had made some really bad theological decisions and really fallen away from faith. And The people, the news media wanted to try to find on a headhunt, they tried to find out who was the professor that taught him this. So they went back to his school, into seminary, and they asked the professor, what do you feel like about one of your students? He's so off theologically. He's really fallen away from faith. What do you think about your student doing this? He said, he was never one of my students. He just attended my classes. And I think so many times there's a difference between being a disciple and being a member of the crowd. See, members of the crowd that Jesus ministered to got to eat of the bread and the loaves, but they never got to see God do more after that day. I want to be a person like the 12 that's following Jesus daily this here in the scripture in Acts 2 42, it says, and they steadfastly persevered. In other words, it didn't, they didn't let their day define their faith, their faith defined their day. And I want some God people to kind of de- determine I'm not just gonna attend services. I'm gonna become a student of God's word. I'm gonna begin to expect God to do big things because I serve a God of impossibilities being made possible. I serve a God that still knows how to command the seas. I serve a God that can still multiply my little and make it more than enough we serve a God that's able to do whatever we need him to do but do you believe him for it you know the greatest message I ever heard when I first got saved is I sat under Brian's dad and he is one of the greatest faith teachers I have ever heard in my life And one of the best things he did is I was sitting there in a service and he said, I want you to begin to expect God to do something good every day. Every day, I want you just to wake up with an expectation in your heart like something miraculous is going to happen today. And he began to teach me how to confess God's word. He began to teach me how to say uh, positive scriptures over my life. And through that, every time I would do it, faith would build in my heart. But more than that, circumstances begin to change. I'll never forget. It was one of uh, the first times I finally got bold enough to pray for healing. And uh, Isaiah, I know this is going to be funny because you probably have never done this, but this person came forward and they had breast cancer and she was going in for surgery. It was really bad and she was very, very ill and she came down front for prayer my normal prayer, I'm just going to be real, is I'll be praying for you. God, just do something good in her life. Good is nice and open, right, Chuck? It doesn't really put an expectation of what good is. Just do something good in her life. Uh, Reveal yourself to her. In Jesus' name, amen. And I would have sent her on her way. But I, through confessing God's word that by his stripes, stripes, we were healed, all of a sudden I was believing that God was a healer. So that day I laid hands on her and I said, God, I declare that she's healed, that this tumor has to shrink. It must go now out of her body. This will not be by surgery, but God, you're touching her right now, and she's going to go in tomorrow morning. They will not be able to find the tumor. The doctors are going to see this as a sign, a wonder, and a miracle, and she's going to use it to testify your great name, and she's crying. I'm crying. I'm like, God, don't fail me now. I'm really praying faith here. Uh, I'm believing it. You do good, and you you are good, and you do good things, and I'm just trusting because this looks impossible, God, but I know with you all things are possible and she left out that day and honestly I would love to stand up here and tell you I knew she was healed it was done the whole day I thought man that was so dumb I shouldn't have prayed such a bold prayer like that God just make it good if you could just make it good I'd really appreciate it I don't know if it's going to work out you know that Monday morning she gave me a phone call and she said I should be in recovery right now but I'm driving myself home because the doctors cannot find that tumor come on somebody We serve a big God. And he's waiting for us to start to pray big prayers, but big prayers do nothing if they're not backed by his word. The Bible says that all of heaven's angels hearken at the word of God. I think a lot of us, if we just got real real here, our angels that are supposed to be working to make our miracles happen are standing in the unemployment line. They don't have anything to do because we're not speaking God's word. But when we begin to speak God's word, all of a sudden our angels finally have work. They're like, hey, Isaiah's talking about that I'm the God of exceedingly abundantly hey they're talking about down here that I by my stripes they were healed hey go ahead and send them some miracles go ahead and send them some provision the Bible says that when we speak God's word there is nothing more powerful than the word of God coming out of our mouth it begins to change what we expect you know we got a phone call this week those of you that follow me on Facebook know and and we are believing God for $160,000 in eight days I know you're praying for a gallon of milk. That's what we're praying for. $160,000 in eight days. Praise God. And um, we got a phone call on last Monday, and the title company wanted to know how we would be coming to closing. And I, she said, I saw here that you got pre-approved for a loan. Are you using funding from this bank? I just want to verify that. I said, oh, no, no, we don't need their funding. And she goes, oh, okay, great. Are you using a different bank? no no, we're not using a different bank. And she goes, how are you going to be paying for this? Now, in that moment, I had a choice. I could speak logic, which would make more sense. We're still waiting for the money to come in. Come on, somebody. Or I could speak faith, God's word, and begin to watch God go to work. And so I'm quiet on the phone. She goes, ma'am, how are you, how are you going to come to closing? I said, we'll be bringing cash. And she goes, Okay, well, you know you have to bring that in the form of a cashier's check. I said, yes, ma'am, we will walk in on Tuesday, September 15th with $160,000 cash. Come on, somebody. That may sound small to you, but it was big for me. And sometimes I think we believe God, but when push comes to shove, we're not daring enough to begin to open up our mouth and begin to speak things into existence. And how do I know that God's going to bring it in? It's not because I have 160000 in my bank account, um, but it's because of this, because I know a God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, that he, all, the earth and all the fullness is his. So if I know that about him, how can I not trust him for the rest? Amen? It determines what we expect. Number three, are y'all getting something today? It changes how we view ourselves. Let's look at Matthew 16, 15 through 19. Jesus is in his final moments here on earth, and he's wrapping up his time with his disciples. And he had gone around the room and asked them, who do you think I am? Who do you say that I am? And here we see this famous scripture. It says, And he said to them, But who do yourselves say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Then Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood have not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. Peter. And you and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind, declare to be improper and unlawful on earth. It must be already bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth must be what is already loose in heaven. What I want you to see here is that God, Jesus, asked Peter who I am. Who do you say that I am? And when Peter said, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God, isn't it amazing how Jesus then began to tell Peter who he is? See, when we find out who God is, we find out who we are. When we begin to find how wonderful God is, he begins to show us how wonderful we are. Here God is. Jesus, he paints out to Peter. He says, hey, I've given you all power, dominion. I've given you keys and authority. Man, that's a powerful mandate. He lets him know on this revelation, I'm going to build my church. And as we all know, Peter was the first preacher of the first church in Acts chapter 2. But all that first came when he discovered who God is. When you begin to find out who God is in your life, And here's the thing, is that my revelation of God isn't going to help you. Brian's revelation of God isn't going to help you. You've got to know God for yourself. When you begin to find out who he is, it changes how you see yourself. I had somebody call me the other day. I thought it was cute. They attend the church or a city here on a set, every Sunday. And uh, they called me and they said, Pastor Crystal, I just need you to pray for me. Will you just stand in agreement with me? And I said, well, sure I can. They said, well, I called you because I know that you always say that you're God's favorite. And I just cracked up laughing because I do think I'm God's favorite. And uh, and I said, no, don't you know that you are God's favorite too? And she said, I am? And I said, yeah, if I'm God's favorite, then you're God's favorite too. And, and your kids are God's favorite. And your husband, well, we'll just move past him. And uh, <laughs> now I'm just teasing. And uh, she said, oh, man, that changes everything. And I prayed with her. And after I got done praying with her, she goes, you know, next time I'm just going to stand in faith on my own because I'm God's favorite. You know, when we begin to see God for who he really is, and that he is good and he does good, it changes the way we view ourselves. It changes the way we believe for things. If you really saw yourself as a daughter of a king, you wouldn't be satisfied with being broke, busted, and disgusted. You wouldn't be satisfied with dating some guy that's less than good enough. A daughter of the king deserves more than good enough. She deserves the best, right? But you've got to begin to see God for who he is. And when you see him for who he is, then you begin to find out who you really are. God's word reveals who you are. There was a girl that came to me, and she needed counseling. As I close, and she was battling depression, having a hard time, and just really honestly lost. She told me, she said, "Crystal, my outview, uh, my outlook on life is terrible." She said, "If anything bad's going to happen, it's going to happen to me." Have you ever met Eeyore? In real life, somebody just, I don't know. That was her. I'm like, but look, you you got a great husband. He's okay. (laughs) You live in a great house. Not really. (laughs) And I told her, I was like, hey, listen, if God be for you, who can be against you? God's going to do great things in your life. And she goes, I don't know. I said, okay, this is what we're going to do. Can you do one thing for me? I guess. I thought, oh man, I need somebody to cheer me on while I was counseling her. I thought, man, I feel just as depressed as you right now. Pray for me. My um, Torah said, We're going to do one thing. Can you do one? And she said, Yes. And I said, I want you every day when your eyes open, I want you to declare out of your mouth, This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. She goes, That's it? I said, Yeah, that's it. She goes, I thought you were going to make me read like 10 chapters in the Bible every day or something. I said, no, that's it. She goes, I hope I don't forget to do it. I said, me too. I'm just giving you one thing. (laughs) So I told her, I said, just write it on a Post-it note. Like put it by your um, your refrigerator door. Come on, George Strait. Write it on a... But write it, put it by your bed, put it on your bathroom mirror, put it somewhere where you can see it. And every time you see it, I want you to say out loud with your mouth, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. I told her, I said, in two weeks, we'll get back together and we'll see how you're doing. Well, two weeks came and went. And I saw her and I said, hey, we're supposed to get back together. Remember, you're depressed. You you feel like just everything's terrible. And you're Eeyore. Don't you remember that? (laughs) Um, I saw her. I said, aren't we supposed to get together? I know that you really wanted counseling. And we said in two weeks we'd get back together. And she said, No counseling. I don't need counseling. She said, man, since I've been doing that, she said, I've got this joy that I can't explain. She said, my whole life has changed. I said, well, did you get a better job? Is your husband doing better? Did y'all buy a brand new house that you didn't tell me about? She said, no, Crystal, honestly, nothing has changed. But just by me beginning to declare that little scripture every single day, my whole outlook on life has changed. She's like, I just have this joy that's bubbling over on the inside of me. There's this excited expectation as I I go through my day and I just feel like God's going to do good things in my life and I just left that place thinking man the most powerful thing people need is not self help books it's not a feel good message but they need the word of God spoken out of their mouths begin to change things it can begin to transform your kids you begin to speak over your kids you're a revivalist you're the pastor of your school you're going to win many souls to the kingdom of God you begin to speak to your checkbook as dumb as that is and you say You're going to be filled. I will not lack. No good thing that, God, you're my provider. You're going to make a way. You begin to lay hands on your husband and say, God, I thank you that we have a strong marriage. That, God, what you've united together, no man can separate. And as you begin to declare God's word out of your mouth, you watch and see what God begins to do. Let's stand on our feet together. You feel equipped. You feel excited. Let's start somewhere. Amen. The Bible tells us in Psalms 119, verse 11, it says, Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. There's something that happens when we begin to take God's word and hide it in our heart. The great thing about hidden things is you're able to find them just right when you need them. And the great thing about God's word, when we begin to store up God's word, maybe for some of you, it may look like five minutes in the morning. Some of you, it may be your drive time as you leave the house and you're going to work. You may put on an audio Bible as you're driving down the road. For some of you, I, I challenge you, get a podcast. Uh, me and Brian, I've, I've determined that every day when I get ready in the morning, I listen to an inspirational podcast every single morning. My kids laugh because they know I'm getting ready because they hear Joyce Meyer coming out of the bathroom. But it sounds silly, but it just starts your whole day Right. And what it does, it's putting God's word in you. Maybe it's two little scriptures that you put on your refrigerator and as a family, you begin to pray them together. No matter what it looks like for you, I just wanna challenge you to start somewhere and begin to see your world change.